Well, good morning, everybody. If you're a guest with our service online this morning, a special welcome to you. My name is John Sherrill. I'm a pastor here at Fifth Reformed Church, and it's good to be worshiping with you this morning. Uh, let me pray for us before we dive in. Lord, we bless you for the way that you have spoken to us in the past. And uh, Lord Jesus, we bless you for the way you continue to speak to us now by your spirit. And we pray, Lord, that you would do that again, even now. Uh, pour out your spirit on us and help us hear what you have for us in your word. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm excited about this morning because we're beginning a new sermon series called Dear Church, and it's focused on uh, the letters to the seven churches in the first three chapters of the book of Revelation. And I'm excited about the series because those letters uh, the Apostle John received as letters from Jesus to each of those churches. And in, in that sense, we can think of them as what Jesus has to say to those churches. And of course, it's applicable not just to those churches of the ancient world, but really we believe these are applicable to all churches throughout time. This is what the Lord Jesus is, is saying to his church. And I don't think anything could be more applicable to us today than that. We're experiencing a very difficult time, right? We're living through a very challenging time. Uh, a country largely divided on partisan lines. A global pandemic, which... Uh, at least now seems to be resurging in our country, and uh, the reality of our country's history of racism and all, all that is coming uh, uh, to the surface right now in, in that very real conversation. And in all of that, there are all sorts of powers seeking to destroy relationships and pull people apart. I mean, I don't know if, you've, if you feel this way, but I kind of feel like the spiritual battle is palpable you almost, almost reach out and touch it. And the church is not immune to any of that, right? In these, in these letters to the churches, uh, Jesus, um, as we'll see as we go through this series, Jesus always says, I know. Uh, I know what you're experiencing as a church. I, I know the context in which you're living. I know the challenges you're facing. I know. And with that knowledge, he then speaks either kind of by commendation or correction, a word to each of these churches. And we'll see at the end, when we put it all together, <clears throat> we'll have seven aspects, seven characteristics of a really healthy, vibrant faith and church. And seven things that are critical to have a true and living church. And I want to say right at the outset, I'm very thankful and uh, to John Stott, who's written a short little commentary on these first three chapters of Revelation. That's a primary source in this series, and I'll be referencing that quite a bit. In, in challenging times like this, we, we really don't need to hear about Jesus. We need to hear from Jesus. And that's exactly what we have in these letters. Uh, if we're seeking God's will for the church... We have them here. We have in these letters what Jesus thinks of the church and what Jesus is saying to the church. And gladly, those things have been revealed uh, through this book of Revelation. And right at the front, we should acknowledge uh, that it is the book of Revelation. And some of us might get a little weirded out by that. I mean, 
I'm not sure where you're at with regard to this book in particular. You might, you might be newer to the faith and you maybe tried to read Revelation or have heard about it and, and you kind of wonder, what do I do with all these, these images? I mean, there are lions and lambs and dragons and there's lightning and hail and thunder and smoke and fire. I mean, it's got it all, right? It's, it's very strange at first glance. Uh, another commentator writing about how, uh, how we perceive the book of Revelation when we first read it said this, it can come across as, quote, a chaotic profusion of weird and mysterious visions, <laughs> which I say, amen, it seems really, really weird the, the first time you read it. But we'll, we'll, we'll do well to remember that it is a revelation, you know, that it's fundamentally about God making known to us something that would otherwise have remained hidden. And it, it's also good to remember that all of that imagery in Revelation is symbolic. You know, when, when we look at it, we need to talk through what exactly it means. Uh, one, one other author put it this way, the various elements in the visions are significant symbols to be interpreted rather than actual features to be imagined. For example, if John saw Jesus with a sharp two-edged sword issuing from his mouth, we are not so much to visualize this literally as to remember that the words which Christ speaks are as sharp and piercing as a sword. So that, that makes sense, doesn't it? The imagery and, and the visions are symbolic. They refer to other things. So if you're newer to the Bible, don't worry about those things. We'll unpack them as we go. And the bigger point to hang on to is that this really is God unveiling things to us, God revealing things to us. In fact, that's how the book of Revelation begins. The first three words of the book in the original language are these, Apocalypsis Iesu Christu, literally a revelation of Jesus Christ. I mean, from the word go, it's very clear that God is revealing something to us, something that we can't figure out on our own. And, and that's an important distinction because in our culture, it's almost assumed that given enough time and resources, we as human beings can figure out anything that we want to figure out. I mean, brilliant minds working on the coronavirus and, and we assume and pray that we'll be able to figure it out and develop a vaccine. Uh, there are plans to send people back to the moon. Some are even planning to send a, a, a human uh, group to Mars. I mean, human beings are gifted, amazing creatures. But we are creatures, we believe. And in that sense, it would be silly to think that the creature could figure out the creator. Right? We cannot figure out God, no matter how many cultural messages we receive to the contrary. We cannot come to know God by, by digging deeper or searching more diligently or by trying harder or by denying ourselves more fully or by putting together the, a group of the smartest people in the world. And the only way anyone comes to know anything about God is by God revealing it to us, by God revealing to us uh, what what. what God is like, what, what he values, what he wants, what, what he desires. And the first words of Revelation tell us that this book is just that, a revelation. And not, and not just a revelation in some general sense, a revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus is that which is revealed. Jesus is the subject 
of this revelation. And it's exactly what those churches in Asia Minor needed. They were experiencing a very challenging time. It's, uh, it's highly likely that the book of Revelation was written and distributed during the reign of Emperor Domitian, the, the Roman Emperor Domitian. Domitian followed Nero, and Nero, of course, was that, uh, that Caesar who began the persecution of Christians. And under Nero, uh, Nero reigned for 25 years, under Nero, the persecution of Christians was, was sporadic and kind of centered in Rome, the, the capital. But the emperor Domitian took it to a whole new level. He, his, his persecution was systematic and widespread across the entire empire. And, and the persecution spread even to Asia Minor and these, uh, these major cities where the seven churches lived. And one commentator made this observation, a church with its back to the wall fighting for survival needs more than moral exhortation. It needs to see Christ. And that is the intent of these letters. You know, this is a revelation of Jesus. So we could ask, what of Jesus is revealed? I mean, the first chapter of Revelation is an introduction uh, 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 to, the, to the book and to these letters to the churches. It starts like this. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Just in the first chapter here, we have three names for Jesus, his titles. Take a look at this, a faithful witness, firstborn from the dead and ruler of the kings of the earth. Jesus is the faithful witness to, to who God is and what God is really like. Jesus himself said that he had come into the world to bear witness to the truth. And he did that. He shared what he knew of God. He shared what he had seen of God. He was faithful in his witness to God. And, and we're called to be the same. Jesus is the faithful witness. Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. Now, in, in this life, some people have died and come back to life. There are examples that, of that in the scripture, and there are modern examples of this too. But Jesus is the first to experience resurrection to a new and eternal life. Everyone else who died and, and came back to this life ultimately died again. But Jesus rose from the dead and is alive right now and forever. He is the firstborn from the dead. And Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth. You know, in the, in the Great Commission, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of Lord, the lords. And, and he is right now the living, reigning, ruling king of the universe. Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth. His titles, we, we come to know Jesus through his titles. We come to know him also through his deeds, his achievements, what he has done. The scripture goes on. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Jesus loves us. He's freed us from our sins by his blood and made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve God. You know, Jesus loves us. 
We still sing it to our boys every night. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And it, it's the fundamental message of Scripture. God loves people so much that he won't allow us to remain as we are. He took drastic action to invite us into a completely different, new, and better life. I mean, the scripture says this, God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. Meaning, when we human beings were at the height of our offensiveness to God, the moment when we were most offensive is the moment when God gave us his most precious gift his son, Jesus, to die on our behalf to free us from our sins by his blood. And he did that. Salvation in every tense, past, present, and future. You know, in, in, in justification, we're saved from the penalty of sin. In sanctification, we're saved from the power of sin. And in glorification, when we die and are with the Lord forever, we're saved from the presence of sin. We, we rest in peace. That's why we say that in Christian funerals. We've been fully and finally saved from the presence of sin. Jesus freed us from our sins by his blood, by his sacrifice. And finally, Jesus made us to be a kingdom and priests to our God. Jesus gives us his grace and he recruits us to his team. Right? We're not just the recipients of God's grace. In Christ, we become mediators of that grace to other people. We're called to be co-workers with God in the world in the great redemption project that is afoot. God's message and power and authority can flow through us to other people by the Holy Spirit whom God has poured out into us. So by his titles and by his accomplishments, Jesus is revealed in this book. This is a revelation of Jesus Christ and it's a revelation to the church and for the church. It's not just about us, it's for us. A revelation to the church. The scripture makes this very clear. Verse 1, the revelation which God gave to him to show his servants. His servants, meaning the church. Those people who trust and try to follow Jesus. And again, we take this to mean not just the Christians back then, but all of us who've come to trust Christ as Savior and seek to follow him as Lord. This is a revelation to the church. And it's a revelation for the church, for those who trust and follow Jesus. You know, those churches back in Asia Minor to whom um, uh, Jesus wrote were facing more than just persecution. That wasn't the only challenge in front of them. Uh, clearly, that one was big. I mean, the, the uh, Emperor Domitian wanted the Christians to worship him, the Lord Caesar, rather than the Lord Christ. And he uh, commanded that upon threat of those Christians' lives. They were persecuted, no doubt. But they also experienced the ever-present challenges of false teaching and immorality, or, or a draw toward human behavior, uh, calling right and normal that behavior which is ultimately wrong and detrimental, hurtful even, even to themselves. And, and these three, persecution, error, false teaching, and immorality represent 
kind of the classic trifecta of spiritual opposition. The church has faced these challenges since the beginning, and we continue to face them today in some form or another, depending on where we live in the world. It probably takes a different look depending on where we live. But, but the important thing, and really one of the biggest takeaways from the book of Revelation as a whole, is understanding that these challenges we face, this spiritual opposition we face, is not just coincidence. These were and are spiritual attacks upon the church by the adversary of the church, the devil. The devil is not just that little red cartoon figure portrayed as silly in some show. I mean, Jesus is helping us understand that our experience of spiritual opposition in the world is part of the outworking of the great conflict between Christ and Antichrist. Really. And in those difficult times, it is essential for the church to remember this. Because if we forget it, we will be sorely tempted to believe that other people are the real problem. Can I say that again? If we forget the source of this conflict, of this opposition, we will be tempted to believe that other people are the real problem. In a time when so many powerful forces seek to pull people apart, to pull the church apart, we cannot afford to be unaware of the devil's schemes. If you're more familiar with the Bible, you probably remember, remember that scripture. It's from 2 Corinthians. The Apostle Paul is talking about uh, forgiveness and forgiving others. Quote, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. And scheming there is. You experience it, I experience it in my inner dialogue. And thoughts flash across the screen. And that's the place where we begin to believe that the real problem is, is that person over there. The real enemy is this person or that person. It's not true. Our, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual principalities and powers of evil. The scripture makes that very clear. And as Christians, when we start believing that people are the ultimate problem, we lose track of our call to be the light of the world because we begin to harbor bitterness toward the very people we're called to love. We need to come back to what Jesus is saying to us as a church. And that's what this series is all about. A revelation of Jesus Christ to the church and for the church. And, and as we engage this conversation, because it will come with both encouragement and correction, we remember that Jesus isn't way out there somewhere. He's right here in our midst. Even the scripture we read this morning made that clear. Go back to verses 12 and 13 and 15 and 16. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, 
And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man. His voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. The lampstands, Jesus goes on to explain, are the seven churches. And among the lampstands, meaning right in the midst of the churches, stood Jesus. Jesus stands amidst his church. And he speaks. He was speaking in that vision John was given. Jesus' voice was like the sound of rushing waters. You can't miss the sound of river rapids. You can hear them miles away. And his words were and are sharp and piercing as a sword, conveying God's truth to us that we might have real life in Jesus' name. The Lord Jesus is among us, and the Lord has something to say to us. So, speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Pray with me. And Lord, we really are listening. We settle ourselves. We quiet our minds and our hearts. And we want to hear you. Speak now, Lord, and continue to speak as we look at what you said to your churches back then and what you are saying to us today. In Jesus' name, amen.